Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Renovate. We all love to see a fixer-upper transformed into a dream home, right? So what needs renovation in your life, your family, career, a relationship? In this series, we'll explore the book of Nehemiah to discover God's blueprint for renovating your heart and house. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, guys? Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Kyra, and I want to welcome all of our live locations and everybody at Church Online. We're so glad that you guys could join us today. Now, last week, Pastor Tim kicked off a brand new series called Renovate. Anybody here watch shows on HDTV and think, "Ah, I don't know, that renovation kind of looks easy. I don't know about you, but every time I watch one of those shows, I'm like, that doesn't look so hard. I could do that myself. And then my husband looks at me, he's like, girl, I don't know what you're talking about because your favorite power tools are blush and lipstick. I'm like, man, that man knows me too well. (laughs) Now, this series is actually based on the book of Nehemiah. And Pastor Tim talked about renovating our church, but also our lives this season. Because in many ways, if we're honest, we all have stuff in our life that's actually broken and could use some TLC. And that's why last week, Pastor Tim asked the question, what's broken in your world that breaks your heart. And he invited people up for prayer at the end of our services, and I am still in awe because the response was overwhelming. People came up for prayer at every campus for all sorts of global and personal renovations. There were relational repairs, relationships that are broken and need fixing. Some were spiritual, financial, emotional. I had the opportunity to pray for a couple um, who has a daughter, they have a daughter, who hasn't been able to launch yet into adulthood. She really just spends her days smoking weed and sleeping in, and they are heartbroken over that. So they're asking God, renovate our daughter's heart. I had the opportunity to pray as well for a man whose heart is broken for the village of Truilo, Nicaragua. He wants to renovate that village. So he wanted to pray so that they could get the machines, cut through international red tape and gather every material that they need to complete the project. So he came and he said, God, help me complete renovations in the village of Truilo, Nicaragua. We prayed for folks facing surgery, rebuilding their health, rebuilding careers, people who felt God was calling them to help hurting people on the other side of the world. I mean, serious stuff. And today I just want to take a moment because we want to thank you for your incredible vulnerability and honesty. You know, at Liquid, we like to keep it real. We talk about real life and how faith actually factors into all those areas. And we just wanna thank you for trusting our team with your prayers. Like our prayer teams, they walked away knowing we serve the best congregation in the world. And we want you to know today, we're praying for each of you. Now, today we're gonna continue taking a deep dive into God's divine blueprint for rebuilding your world in 52 days, also known as the book of Nehemiah. And if you're just joining us, I wanna catch you up from last week because Nehemiah is an ordinary everyday guy who's going about his business when one day he hears some disturbing news. Look at chapter three, or sorry, chapter one, verse three. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now this is devastating news for the people of God. 
Because without walls, they're actually defenseless. They're vulnerable to attack. And at this point, the wall has been broken for 140 years. And when Nehemiah hears this, it hits him in a very emotional place. Verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Jerusalem is broken, and it breaks his heart. And God uses Nehemiah to change the world in 52 days. And Pastor Tim challenged us last week to be praying for the next 52 days, to actually pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks his. Have you been praying that, can I ask you? Because that is a dangerous but worthy prayer. And today I want to get super practical, especially if you are a man or woman of action, because today we're going to see Nehemiah standing up to take action and do something about the burden that God has placed in his heart. And that just speaks to my soul because I have a bias towards action. I've always considered myself a woman with a bias for action. But if you're sitting here today and you think, I'm not really that kind of take action leader, you know, like my influence, eh, it's limited. So are my resources. Like I'm just an average, ordinary person. Pastor Kyra, what can I do? Well, if that's you, I want to encourage you with this next part of the story because I want to spotlight one little detail that may change your perspective. Do you recall what Nehemiah did for a job? He wasn't a king or a prophet or a priest. What did Nehemiah do? Look at the last verse in chapter 1. I was, what's the word, church? Cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Do you guys know what the job of a cupbearer was? Every day, he would bring the king his cup of wine. But first, Nehemiah actually had to taste it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So his job was to die in place of the king. In other words, he was expendable. Okay, Nehemiah was a glorified butler. He's like Alfred from the Batman movies, okay? He had no power, no prestige, and his job was to simply bring the king a drink. But God chose him to rebuild his world. And why is that? Because God is in the business of choosing average and ordinary people, humble people with a heart to help. And when Nehemiah heard about the broken down wall of his people, he was living in Persia, 1,000 miles away from that, from that place. And he wept. He cried. He cared. He knew somebody's got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. And even though he didn't have a powerful position, Nehemiah had a powerful passion. So let that encourage you today, because our first lesson is that to rebuild your broken world, you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. You don't have to be the best for God to actually place a burden on your heart and use you in his rebuilding purposes. You don't have to be the one person everyone thinks, ah, oh, well, she's the superstar that God's going to use. I mean, church, have you read the Bible? God uses ordinary, broken people all the time. People like Moses, chosen to lead Israel out of captivity, even though he had a speech impediment. Or Elijah, who was depressed and yet defeated all the prophets who were worshiping Baal. 
or Nehemiah, a little cupbearer who rebuilt the wall in 52 days. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I, I just don't feel strong enough. Like, I'm not really that smart. I'm not influential. How can God use me? I got news for you today. You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. And how do I know? Because God did it for me. Okay, my burden is that I want every man, woman, and child to encounter the truth of God's words, to experience the overwhelming, never-ending love of Jesus that can be found in the pages of the Bible and actually apply that wisdom to their everyday lives. It's why I love to teach the Bible to people. But church, you have to understand, I'm from Puerto Rico, okay? Wepa. So English is not my first language. I wasn't born in the United States. I didn't grow up here. And my family and I, we speak Espanol in our house. Espanol is the language I use in my heart, in my thoughts, and in my prayer life. It is Espanol 24-7 every day. And just so that you can understand the struggle, I want to invite you into my crazy, okay? Every Sunday morning, I wake up and I come to church and I see many of you out there and you're all very nice and you're like, Pastor Kyra, how was your weekend? And I need you to know that on the inside, I'm like, nena, deja que te cuente lo que me pasó este fin de semana. But what you really get is, I'm well, how are you? You get the mental gymnastics that's required. And I'll be honest, after preaching three times on a Sunday, I am English fatigued. Okay, I mispronounce names. I forget words. My ESL comes out. And I actually crave time to speak in my mother tongue. No way could I be the best at preaching in English when it's my second language. And yet, God chose me to share the good news of the gospel with you because he gave me a burden and I care a lot. And Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, but God put a burden on him and he cared the most. I want you to look at chapter two. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, this little detail is really important because in chapter one, when Nehemiah first heard the news about the wall, it was the month of Kislev, okay? Nehemiah one tells us, the story starts in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. And when he finally goes to the king, Nehemiah wants us to know it's the month of Nisan, which means in the Hebrew calendar, four months has elapsed between the time that Nehemiah heard the report of Jerusalem until he had an opportunity to speak to the king. Four months where Nehemiah wept, where he mourned, fasted, prayed for God to do something about Jerusalem. Now, four months may not seem like a long time, but let's be honest, people. Who here even likes to wait four minutes, right? Like God puts a burden in your heart, and then he gives it time. Time so that his courage can grow in you in accordance with your calling. God gives us a burden, and then he slows us down so that he can enlarge our hearts over the very burden that he's given us. That's why to rebuild our broken world, we need to understand renovations require patience. I know that some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? Like if you've ever been part of a renovating project, you know it always takes more time. Let's say you're redoing your kitchen and your contractor says, lady, it'll be done in three months. 
Guaranteed, it's actually going to cost, it's going to be twice as long and cost twice as much. In fact, I think you've probably heard the saying, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Well, I came here today to tell somebody there's another certainty in life and it's delays and renovations, okay? Even though we don't like delays and nobody likes to wait, waiting is actually biblical. Abraham waited 25 years for God to fulfill the promise of Isaac. Israel waited 400 years to be freed from slavery. And then, as if that wasn't enough, waited 40 more years in the desert to be able to rebuild their nation in the promised land. And I know that many of you can relate because you've been asking God to help you rebuild, to help you renovate for years, and you're still waiting for it to begin. You've been waiting on God to free a loved one from the grasp of addiction, and you're still waiting for that renovation to start. You've been waiting for your adult children to give their life to Christ, and that rebuilding hasn't started yet. You've been waiting to start your own business. God gave you a burden to leave the marketplace, to start a new business, and nothing has happened. Waiting is hard. I get it. But do you know why it's hard? Because waiting actually reveals our impatience. And it teaches us to be patient, which I'm the first one to say nobody wants to be. But patience is a fruit of the spirit that God actually wants to develop in all of his children, especially people who are going to change the world. That's why God chooses people who care the most. Because when you care the most, you're also willing to wait for as long as it takes. And whenever you wait on the Lord, I need you to understand you're not wasting your time. You're investing it because God is using that time to prepare both you and your circumstances so that his purposes will be accomplished. And when the right time arrives for you to act by faith, don't you dare delay. That's what Nehemiah has been doing all this time. When he heard about Jerusalem, he didn't rush into the king's presence and ask for a year's leave of absence. He waited for four months. He concealed his heavy burden from the king and he presented it to God in private until God finally opened the door for him to talk with the king. And when he finally gets to be before the king, he knows what to do. It says, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? when you're not ill. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. In other words, King Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah, why so glum, chum? And Nehemiah tells us, I was very much afraid. Now, why is he afraid? Because let's, you know, if Nehemiah was sad in the presence of the king, that was a breach of protocol. Like kings like to be surrounded by happy people, okay? And in the king's eyes, Nehemiah was a Debbie Downer, a party pooper, and it could have cost him his job and even his life. But Nehemiah has been waiting for this moment. So he responds, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Now, this is the moment that Nehemiah has been waiting for, and it doesn't get any better than this because he has the king of Persia, the most powerful man that he knows, asking him, what do you want? And I love 
what he does next. Let's read these words aloud. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. In other words, before Nehemiah talked to the king, he talked to God. You can tell a lot about a person, who they depend on, based on who they go to first. And this isn't a formal prayer, okay? This is more like a flare prayer. He shoots it up to God. He's like, Lord, help. Kind of, it actually kind of reminds me of, um, you know, what I do anytime one of my kids asks me about sex. I'm like, uh, SOS, Lord, SOS, uh, help me answer this well. So Nehemiah actually prays first. But why does he do that? Because waiting actually requires surrendering. And Nehemiah understands it's not his place to change the king's heart. His place is just to pray and leave the rest up to God. So Nehemiah responds, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And what happens next is pretty incredible because not only does the king ask Nehemiah, what do you want? He's now asking him, well, what do you need? Look at chapter or verse 6. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I said, uh, what's the word, church? Time. Now, this part is important because Nehemiah understood that renovations require patience. He used this extra time to do two things, advanced planning and a lot of thinking. You see, when the king asked, how long are you going to be gone? Nehemiah didn't vaguely say, well, you know, that's up to the Lord, king. No. He gave him a definitive time. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Not only did Nehemiah give the king a definite time, he also laid out some definite requests that shows you, hmm, this guy has been doing some careful planning. Look at verse uh, 7. I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I, I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. Here we have Nehemiah making three big requests to the king. King, can I have time off? Because I'm going to go rebuild a wall. King, can I have letters to the governors? Because I need safe passage. Nehemiah didn't have any power, so he actually asked the king, can you leverage your power and protect me? And then this is the kicker, okay? Nehemiah was such a strategic planner, he requests, king, can I have resources? Can you give me timber, wood, so that I can rebuild? I mean, you got to give this guy a lot of credit, okay? Nehemiah may have been a little cupbearer, but he was a man with a plan. You probably heard the old saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And Nehemiah plans, and his planning meets opportunity. So he knows exactly how much wood he actually needs to rebuild the wall. You see, part of the benefit of approaching rebuilding with patience is that during that time, you can make plans carefully. Now, I sometimes hear Christians say, well, planning isn't that spiritual. Like, we need to be more spirit-led and trust the Lord more, which... I always translate as, I don't have a clue how we're going to move from here to there. So let's not do anything and see what happens. 
Now, I recognize that we can go to the other extreme of being so elaborate in our plans that we actually trust more the plans and not the Lord. But guys, it's not either or. It's not you either plan or you pray. It's both. You invite God into the process of planning because God is a God of order. And the more that you plan, the more room you give the spirit to move. It's what we saw last Sunday at all of our locations. Now, last Thursday, I uh, took a friend out to dinner. And while we were talking, she said, how do you, like, what's your process for writing a message? And I said to her, if you really want to know, I pray and I plan all week long. Because if my burden is to share God's word, then I want to prepare, I want to pray, and I want to plan until it's not just written on paper, it's written in my heart. Because what I've discovered is that the more that I plan, the more impact God has. Because God honors careful planning and preparation in every step that fulfills a godly burden. And that's why I love Nehemiah, guys, because he shows us the biblical balance of waiting in God while thinking and planning about what we're going to do when God opens the door. And I can tell you that's the approach that we've actually taken here at Liquid as we start to reopen all of our campuses. You see, at Liquid, we have a burden for people who are far from God, people who are hurting, a burden for people like a family in Mountainside whose son has been isolated and bullied. He doesn't want to go to school. He doesn't want to go to sports. You guys know the only place he wants to go to? This church. Because he feels safe here with people around him that love him. That's who we want Liquid to open for. We want to reopen our campuses and we want to welcome people home. So we've been making plans carefully all this time. And as we wait and as we plan, we've actually been praying for the same three things that Nehemiah asked the king. We've been praying for the right time. You see, some of our campuses have been closed for the past 16 months. But we believe the time has come to open back up each of our locations, and we are thanking God for that. Amen, church? We've also been praying for safety. Guys, we've needed to be sure reopening was safe for you and your families, that COVID transmission rates were going to go down, and that the world was slowly starting to reopen. And lastly, we've been praying for resources. We've been praying and recalling our volunteers back into serving. We've been hosting events like worship nights and outreaches and, and volunteer parties so that we can have the resources that are actually going to lead us this June, this July, and this August to have a true homecoming at each of our locations. Now, last Sunday, my daughter Gabby um, served in Liquid Family. She's the cute girl with the gray jacket. But it was the first time that she was serving in 16 months. She serves in the toddler phase here in Parsippany. And all throughout the pandemic, oh, she missed her toddlers, man. She loves your kids. You have to know that girl loves your babies. And before the pandemic, she'd always come home on Sundays. And I'd be like, honey, how did it go? And she's like, boy, those toddlers kick my butt. But they're adorable. And I realized... I actually, God actually gave my 12-year-old girl a burden to be part of welcoming kids into his house and showing them the love of Jesus. And last Sunday, when she was finally able to serve again in person, she was so excited to be back serving that she came with me to church at 7 a.m. without complaining. It was a true Sunday miracle. 
And if God can place a burden in the heart of a 12-year-old girl, he can do the same for you. Maybe your burden is for high schoolers who are coming back from this pandemic more anxious and more depressed after months of isolation. Maybe it's to share the love of Jesus with a group of men and women in a small group. Whatever it is, I want you to know we have been carefully planning at Liquid for all of this. And we need your help. As you return to church, we need all hands on deck. We need volunteers in every ministry to help rebuild our church together. So if you're waiting to be asked personally by a pastor, I'm asking you, okay? All you need to do is sign up at liquidchurch.com slash dreamteams. And I'll be honest, when my daughter um, and I were walking to the toddler room, she said, Mom, I'm really excited to be here and be back but I'm really nervous. And I just, I looked at my girl and I've never been prouder to actually say to her, honey, we have planned and we have prepared for you to return as a church so you don't need to worry about a single thing and just enjoy yourself. Church, whatever you want to rebuild and renovate this spring will require careful planning. Okay, you wanna rebuild your marriage? Start planning as you wait for that renovation to complete. It may mean you need to look for a counselor. You may need to budget wisely. You may need to hire a babysitter, but it is worth it if you plan now. If you want to renovate your career, you may need to learn a new skill or a new trade. You may want to rebuild your finances. Can I ask? Plan to cut off those credit cards. Take our FPU class. Prepare a budget. It may not sound earth-shattering, but people who change the world do it when they make plans carefully. Because here's the truth. While you wait for the renovations to start and you honor God by making plans carefully, the gracious hand of God will be upon you. That's what Nehemiah discovered. After he made his three requests to the king, Nehemiah says this, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Church, Nehemiah was intentional about praying and waiting on God on the front end of all of his plans so he knew where to put glory in the back end. Because when you front load something with prayer, you give God all the glory when it actually takes place. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to face opposition. Okay, the opposition that Nehemiah faces actually becomes more and more challenging as this drama unfolds. But you got to come back next week to hear all the juicy details of this part of the story. But this brings me to the final point that I want to make today. And that is that it's your job to put God first. It's his job to take care of the rest. Because when Nehemiah finally makes it to Jerusalem, he safely gathered with all of the materials that he needed. He calls the people of Jerusalem and he tells them, guys, you see the trouble we're in. I'm defining reality for you. I ain't hiding anything. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Now come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then he goes on to say, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah lets the leaders know, this isn't my project, it's God's project. In other words, 
Nehemiah doesn't get everything that he asked the king because of any royal favor or because even his own preparation. He got it because God was the one who moved the king. God touched the heart of the king of Persia. And now he's the one bringing all of Nehemiah's plans to fruition. You see, when God's favor rests upon the head of his own, even a pagan king bows down. And that's exactly what happened here. A pagan king gave Nehemiah financial, political, and military support to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. That's what favor is called. There's no other way to explain it. The gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah meets with the leaders of Jerusalem, he doesn't beg them to join in the project. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't make deals. Nehemiah had a high calling from God, and he never stopped treating it like a high calling. So he tells the men, guys, come on, let's stop kidding around. There's a job to be done, and God is leading us to get it done now. And he relied on the Lord to create a true inward motivation for the men. And that's why we see how even in the response of the leaders of Jerusalem, the gracious hand of God was in Nehemiah. Because here's what they said. Let us start rebuilding. So they began, what's the word, church? This good work. Translation, Nehemiah, we're with you, Holmes. And this is amazing because they could have responded in a variety of ways. They could have said, eh, thanks, but no thanks. It's too much work. Or, you know, we've tried it before, Nehemiah, and we should, you know, we've actually failed. Or it's, it, it'll take too long. Ain't nobody got that kind of time. Anytime God's people said, let's arise and build. You know what the enemy's going to say? Let's arise and stop them. But these leaders know that they have been called to something. So they understand God's hand is at work here. Nehemiah's heart, his prayers, his boldness, his action, his wisdom, all of it put God first. And as a result, God blessed the rest by moving the hearts of the leaders to do this great work. The gracious hand of my God is on Nehemiah, but it's also on you, Liquid Church. In fact, turn to your neighbors right now and say, the gracious hand of my God is on me. I get that this is a tall order, but I believe now more than ever before, we need to be men, men and women who seek to put God first before we actually do any planning, any strategizing, or take any kind of action. And if God can do all of this through a little cupbearer, he can do it through you as well. How do I know? Because you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. So let me ask you, What's God's calling you to do about your burden? He's saying, have patience, but then make plans carefully. I've shared with you today the burden that God has given Liquid Church. We want to reopen all of our campuses for every person that is hurting, lost, and far from God. And today I want to ask you to be praying for the next 52 days about what your part is in all of this, because you have a part to play. And as you pray, I want you to ask yourself, what's my next step? Is it to be a mentor to kids? Is it to be a small group leader? Is it to welcome people every week in the auditorium or outside in the parking? I want you to ask yourself, what's my next step? And then I want you to take it today. 
Because if you have the courage to act on the burden that God has placed in you, he will have the power to help you complete it. Amen, church? I want to finish today by praying for all of us. So I want to invite you to stand right now, wherever you are. We're going to finish today's service by praying. So let me bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you remind us today through the story of Nehemiah that you choose average, ordinary people. You break their heart for what breaks yours. And when we put you and all of our plans into your hands, Lord, you do incredible things. We are wanting you to choose us into the great works that you have prepared in advance for every person under the sound of my voice. And so today I ask that you would move powerfully in the hearts of your people, that you would give them a clear vision of what's the next step that you want them to make and that you would fill them with the courage to do it, Lord, to not be dissuaded, to not be believing any of the lies that the enemy would want them to believe that would hold them back, but instead to say, send me, Lord, I will go. And so I thank you just for your word, for our time together today. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.